From the Hype HQ studio in Chicago, Illinois, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Raj Nation, and I am the founder of Startup Hype Man. Fast-growing startups work with me because they want to become better storytellers. Whether that's for customers, investors, or a packed audience, they know that story is their ticket to stand out, stand apart, and change the game. And this podcast here is where I talk with entrepreneurs and leaders in the startup ecosystem, ranging from scale stage to early stage, as they share specific strategies that they have executed to stand out across three specific areas, sales, marketing, and people. Before we begin today's episode, remember you can head to StartupHypeMan.com and subscribe to the newsletter that doesn't suck. You'll get new podcast episodes and timely reads written by me, but also helpful articles from around the web and a notice of upcoming pitch competitions. All right, let's dive in and hear how today's guest is changing the game. Ladies and gentlemen, making his way to the microphone from Chicago, Illinois and currently residing in Santa Barbara, California. He is the founder of Poly Tripper. Please welcome Mohan Embo. <laughs> wow. Are you going to have like sound effects playing as you say that or like <laughs> Don't, do, you, do you just want to like every room you enter? Would you like that introduction from now on? Uh, I, like I told you, like I told you, I'm like the absolute opposite of that. Like for me, I like <laughs> want to slink into the room unnoticed and just kind of observe people and stuff like that. So he is Mohan Embar. He is the founder of Poly Tripper. Poly Tripper helps you learn a new language and helps make learning a new language easy. Their online portal connects you with a native or near native speaker of the different language to help you learn, study, and practice. You can access everything through their website at polytripper.com. Today on the show, we are actually talking about something that maybe is a little bit of a departure from the normal episode, but I think is going to really help all of you listening. And that is how you can increase productivity by learning a new language. So Mohan, first off, welcome to the show and let us know why this is on your mind and why this is important to you. Thanks. Yeah. First off, thanks for having me. Secondly, yeah, it's a lot of times when I'm invited to like a business related podcast, the question is like, what does this have to do with entrepreneurship or business (laughs) building or anything like that? But A, I appreciate that you get it. And B, the drum I'm beating is that if you are looking to I mean, entrepreneurs are always looking for an edge. They're always looking for ways to to get more productive and also like increase, basically increase their edge. And if you're looking for an edge, I can't think of a single one thing that checks off so many personal development checkboxes as learning a foreign language. And my thesis is even if you're not interested in learning a foreign language for the sake of being able to communicate with other people or, or for any actual language specific goal, you would still do well to learn a foreign language because of all of the personal development things that it can give you. And that's, that's why I think this is important for people who would not normally think about learning a foreign language. We're going to learn a whole lot more about this and dive into the topic further. But first, let's learn a little bit more about you and your backstory. Now, right before we hit record, we had this, oh my God, no way moment where we <laughs> learned that uh, you first, well, you lived in Rogers Park till you were nine in, in Chicago. But then you moved to Wheaton, Illinois at the age of nine, which is where I grew up. Uh, you apparently grew up in the neighborhood across from me. I was in Scottsdale. You were in Briarcliff. Uh-huh. 
both uh-huh. went to the same high school, which is just insane. Uh, although I will say this, this is the second time on this show that while recording, I have learned that the other guest went to the same high school. As Are me. you serious? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it was literally it like about often, forty-five seconds before the the start of the the recording yeah. that we discovered this. Yeah, which is just crazy. Um, now there's a there's a there's a age difference here. You graduated, I think you said in 1984, right. uh, which I was not born yet. Which again is kind of crazy to think and that we're operating in the same world now. Uh, uh-huh. When like you know, I may not have even been born when you were graduating high school but um i'm curious because actually glenbard south was newer than i don't think the high school opened until like 72 or 75 or something like that could be um but uh i'm curious what was your and i you know i had a good time but i also have my opinions of you know the western suburbs of chicago and that kind Uh of thing i'm just kind of curious like what was your experience uh especially i think in the 80s as well when I think the Indian community, you're Indian or of Indian yes. descent. And I think the yes. Indian community was just really starting to like populate within the U S. Yes. Um, and I think was a more or less a newer concept for a lot of people. So what was your experience like? This is interesting because like we, we've talked, you and I have talked before, but we've never gone there like before. Yeah. Just, I just want to make, make it clear for all the listeners. We haven't gone there. So it's interesting to, to like unpack this in real time. But that's that's a really interesting question. I um so I grew up in Rogers Park, which was very culturally diverse, and I went to Kilmer School, um, which is like I wouldn't say it's like the inner city, but it was pretty. I mean, just all different colors, races, everything like that. And when I moved to Wheaton, um, <clears throat> I pretty quickly discovered that like there were no, it wasn't very ethnically diverse. Um, I think I knew two other Indians like who were. It, who were in the same school as me. I, I, I won't say their names, but I knew two other Indians. And there were, I mean, this is also a thing coming from Chicago to the Western suburbs too. There were things that I became aware of that I wasn't aware of before. For example, people pointed out to me that I was wearing flood pants that, whereas mm. I didn't know, I didn't know what flood pants were when I was living in Chicago. And now it's like, okay, you shouldn't wear flood pants. And <laughs> I, I did, I did feel different i mean i not only not only like i no not only did i feel like i came from a different socioeconomic background i mean we weren't poor we were definitely middle class but a lot of people had two cars they had a vcr Mm. we didn't have a vcr yet i'm dating myself um (laughs) but it was very different and i felt yeah i don't know if i'm answering your question properly but yeah i did i did feel different you know yeah and and the weird thing is is i don't know i don't know if you have this but but growing up in the united states especially growing up in the western suburbs like i identify the most with being surrounded by white people yeah um i don't know if you feel the same way and like when i go to india it's when when you go to india is actually weird for you to i mean not weird in like in a negative or anything like that right but it's just like it's just different it's just not what we're used to being surrounded by brown-skinned people and stuff like that so so yeah on the one hand i identified with that on the other hand i was different yeah the the line i often say is like it's interesting because living in america i identify as indian however when Uh i travel anywhere i say i'm american (laughs) uh i don't know if you have that same experience um, I say, um, because in Europe, a lot of times you say you're American and they'll be like, oh, you know, because they'll, you know, they're, 
version of American is like the people they see in the movies, New York, mm-hmm. you know, Sleepless in Seattle, whatever. Um, and so, <laughs> interesting, interesting <laughs> reference, Sleepless in Seattle. Of all I don't know. I, I don't know. I just, I, just, I just came out of nowhere. But, um, but yeah, I, but I also, um, I'm, I'm, I was born in the United States. I'm American, but my parents are from India. And I think yeah. that kind of, oh yeah, lots of Im- immigrants in, in, in America, melting pot. So they kind of get it after I say that. Yeah. Um, when did you first start having an interest in languages? Um, it actually goes back to India because I would hear my, so I had a number of formative experiences when I was a child. First of all, my parents would speak English with each other because my mother's native tongue was Telugu and my father's native tongue was Tamil, which are two different Indian languages. For people that don't know this, there are many, many, many different languages in India, each with their own script mm-hmm. and everything like that. I think if they're like 17 or something like that. Um, like thousands and, in total with all the dialects. Yes, yes, with the dialects, yeah. So the only time that I would hear an Indian language was when my mother would speak with her parents or with her um, brothers or sisters, or where my dad would speak with his sister or his parents. Um, other than that, they would speak English. But for me as a kid, it's like I was reading all these comic books about like, you know, the Hardy Boys, you know, like these detective kind of things, like where they have these secret codes and you write something in a code. And for me, like this would be, this sounded like a, like they were speaking in code and I wanted to learn a secret language so that my sister couldn't understand me and stuff like that. So... <laughs> So it was like, this sounds like a... This so that was like your cool. initial interest was yeah. like, you were like, oh, I want to have a code. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then, and then I went to India for the first time when I was, I want to say like five or six years old. And I remember really distinctly um, sitting at the kitchen table and there was a can of cocoa and it was written, um, one side was in Hindi and the other side was in English. And I went to my uncle and I, and I said, this is like a cipher code. I was like six, but I was like, this is like a, like, so this word means this word and this word means this word. And I thought it was like a one-to-one correspondence, like a cipher code. And he's like, no, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) And I was like, oh, why not? And I think it was the unpacking of that why not that just kind of led to all of the rest. It was like, oh, this is interesting. It's not. Yeah. Why? Why is it not a one-to-one correspondence? Well, the interesting thing here, and I learned this from when we talked last time, um, you know eight languages, which is pretty cool. You know English, French, Dutch, Spanish, Italian, German, Portuguese, and Swedish. Yes. But if you notice in those eight languages there, everyone listening, not one of those is actually an Indian language or a language out of India. Um, Can you talk through of the eight languages you've learned, how that that happened, that none of it was like a, a mother tongue of any kind? Yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of like I'm kind of ashamed of it because because that's the first thing a lot of people of Indian descent point out. Um, it's not for lack of it's not for lack of willingness. There are like two things here. First of all, and, and if anyone is listening, and if anyone wants to set the record straight with me and and convince me that I should learn an Indian language, I'm all ears because I don't. I mean, this is not something that I've excluded. But basically what happened when I was a kid, when I was eight years old, I used to beg my mother, please teach me Telugu because I wanted to, I wanted to learn it. But then the one time that um, she said, my mother didn't know anything about how to teach a language. And that's one thing you'll learn just because somebody knows how to speak a language doesn't mean they know how to teach. And that's true of anything, just because they know something doesn't mean they know how to teach the thing. Michael Jordan doesn't make a good basketball coach. (laughs) Right. Right. So, so my mom is like, uh, okay. I, I know what, I'm going to just talk to you in Telugu all the time. And then, so she started, 
she said one thing and then I repeated it and then she just burst out into laughter and she's like, oh, uh -huh, you have an American accent when you say that. And I was like, that was that traumatized me enough that I didn't want to reattempt that. So it was childhood trauma that put <laughs> you, diverged you towards every European language instead. <laughs> I think I think I was frustrated because like there was another time I, I remember distinctly we went to India when I was 18 and at one and, and at, th at that point in time I really uh, what I really thought it sucked that I didn't know an Indian language, especially Kannada, because that's what they speak mm -hmm. in Bangalore. And um, so they were all talking. And at one point in time, my sister and I just got so frustrated that we just went up to the balcony that we were like, we're not just, we're not coming down because we just don't understand anything. It was like super frustrating to me. So mm -hmm. I, I wish, I wish, and my mother told me in retrospect that, that she wished that she had, uh, that, that she wished that she had done that, but she was too afraid to do that because she didn't want me to be stigmatized if I had an accent at school, uh, which is like, yeah, that's actually a big, yeah, yeah. It, it is a big deal, but it is also unfounded. You can't, I mean, they're bilingual Hispanic kids that don't have an accent when they speak English. So it's, yeah. I, there, there are all kinds of myths and preconceived notions with people who are raising. and it, First generation, yeah. Exactly. First generation, especially if it's like, if, especially if like you're ashamed, like I see, bless their hearts. I see a lot of Mexicans and there are two kinds of Mexicans who live here. One of them who are like really proud of their culture and their language and everything like that. And other people who are like, I'll, I'll see them, hear them speaking Spanish to each other and I'll go approach them because I like, I want to join in on the conversation and, and then they'll switch to English just because they're, they've been stigmatized by speaking Spanish out loud in the United States, which is such a shame. It's such mm. a shame that that exists, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess my mother felt prey to that too. Yeah, it's, uh, there's just a lot baked into like the perception, the what like the implications of it, all that stuff. And and I, you know, I understand some Tamil, but I don't actually know how to really speak any of the Indian languages. Mm -hmm. I know English, and I learned enough Spanish in high school that I remember a good amount of it and can be conversational in a Spanish-speaking country. But that's where mm -hmm. it ends. Uh, but although I did actually not trying to like cheap plug or anything, I did actually just sign up on Polytripper to take uh, Hindi lessons. And so I just had my first Hindi lesson last week. That is so cool. And I'm looking forward to more. Uh, you know, another actually point of similarity we have is that uh, your name is actually my dad's uh, nickname. Wow. Uh, so my dad, amongst the family, goes by Mohan. Uh, I don't, wow. don't want to get into the whole, like, how it's different than his actual birth name, but, uh, uh -huh. <laughs> but he's like, his birth name is Bala, and like professionally he's Bala. Uh-huh. Amongst family, he's Mohan. So we have my, we have a lot. We're not so different, you and I, in the words. My of my uncle is Uncle Raju. So <laughs> <laughs> so we're close there too. Yeah. So um, okay. So our topic today is increasing productivity by learning a new language. Um, can you speak to what is it about language we're learning specifically that does help from a productivity standpoint? And perhaps if you're aware, like what's happening in the brain in this process of learning? A sure. Language? So, so I'm not uh, I'm not a linguist or a, a neurologist by any stretch of the imagination, but I, you know, I've Googled a lot um, and I've read a lot of stuff about this, and I can speak from personal experience about this too. That if people are like, you know, entrepreneurs are always, go you know, good entrepreneurs, I should say, are always taking like personal development classes, learning voracious readers and stuff like that, always trying to get that edge and always trying to find life hacks for for getting that edge, and with language learning. There's so many studies that show that it increases brain power, it increases memory, it allows you to multitask better. I mean, there, there are pros and cons of multitasking, but if you need to multitask, then it's nice to have the ability to do that. It can, um, 
It can increase your systematic skills, like reasoning about things. If you're afraid of public speaking, for example, like right now, this, this, um, this podcast interview, there are not a lot of people that will feel, would feel comfortable doing this because we're really just winging it. I mean, I mean, you've got, you've got an outline, but the thing about Glenbard South, the thing about India, like we, we, we veered off into tangents and we're both comfortable with that because we've practiced that. We practice, you know, and I'm an introvert by nature. So it's not like an introvert extrovert thing. It's just like a skill that we've developed, just learning how to free associate and feel comfortable with like not sticking to the script and stuff like that. And if you're an entrepreneur, if you're doing negotiations, there are always situations where you have to think about like the person you're talking to, how you can relate to the person you're talking to and like find a common connection so that you can kind of like soften them up and open them up to, to, to whatever message that you're trying to convey to them. And, and what a better way to do that if, especially if you're having to deal with different cultures and, um, and, and, and different people in different countries, than to just show them that, you know, a little bit about their culture, their language, um, where they're coming from. You know, there are a lot of Americans that feel like, you know, America is number one and, you know, we're the greatest. And I get that there are a lot of people that are patriotic, but on the other hand, um, you wouldn't believe how much just a little bit of acknowledgement, a little bit of like, oh, I hear that in Italy that they do this, or I heard that, I, you know, just a little bit of that just goes such a long way in, in breaking down barriers um, between, between people. And even if you're not dealing with people internationally, um, just being able to, I mean, they, I mean, all entrepreneurs read that like in order to close a sale, you have to listen. You have to actually listen to the person that you're talking to and not just like spout out your stuff and not, and, and not have a back and forth kind of a thing. And so I believe that languages really pave the way to being able to empathize with people, actually like listen to people, see where they're coming from and, um, and be able to and be able to relate to them like that. Um, and there's like a thinking on your feet aspect of that too, because um, because if you're speaking a foreign language, you're going to have to you, necessarily you're going to be better at saying something in English than in whatever language you're speaking. And so if you're trying to convey something, you're going to have to find workarounds, and you're going to have to like, oh crap, I don't know this word, I don't know how to say it this way, so I'm going to have to say it this way instead, you know, and just all that thinking on your feet really translates well to going back to your own language, to English. I mean, just think about it. If, you, if you're talking to someone and you see that they're not receptive to the way that you're delivering something and you have to find another way of delivering it just based on their background, their backstory, what they're open to and stuff like that, you know, then you have to reformulate stuff, have a new plan of attack, have a new action plan for delivering your message and all of those skills can be very easily formalized when you learn a foreign language you know you have to develop all those skills and they can they very nicely translate back into your own language even if you never have anything to do with foreign languages or foreign cultures or foreign countries in your day-to-day business dealings does that make sense yeah of course of course so I'm actually curious for you personally, knowing eight different languages. Um, I'll put it this way: the the, the Spanish that I know, um, which you know, I can honestly like, I can get by pretty well, uh, have, and I only learned Spanish in high school and not since. Um, but I need to think about the sentence in English first, and then in my head translate it to Spanish. Sure. Are you personally at a point where you can just naturally think in the language? 
that you're trying to speak or are you doing a translation first of here's what I'm saying in English, here's what it is in say Dutch, here's what it is in Italian? Um, it's really interesting because, so I don't speak all of those eight languages equally well. Um, okay. you, you, read the or, you read the languages in the order I gave them to you, which is the order in which I speak them, how, how well I speak them. Sure. So for both, okay, so let's take French, which I think was second on the list. Yeah, um, French is second on the list. So I've actually lived and worked and studied in France. Um, I've lived there for many years. I've actually, I actually had a job in multiple French-speaking companies. Um, I did like my entire year abroad in France. So for me, that's almost. I mean, I, I don't. I, I would say I speak it perfectly, but it is almost like like one of the best compliments I ever got is when I was taking a plane flight to India on Air France and I was just chatting with the steward, the steward and he was like, how did you learn how to speak French so well? And I told him about all um, the different experiences I had living in France and working in France. And he's like, oh, so you're a little bit French then. And that was a, that, that made my, that made my day. I was like, wow, I'm a little bit French. A French I'm person accepted. said I'm a little bit French. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I would say like with French and my wife is Dutch. And so, um, and so I've lived in Holland. I've worked in Holland. Same thing. Not for as long as in France, but but I have very extensive experience living in the country and working there and stuff like that. So for me, those I I I don't know what I think in anymore. I don't even know if I think in English anymore. But with those languages, it's like it's like in the bag, nature, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, it's funny because with France, with French and Italian and Portuguese. When I think, I think I'm actually translating from French into those languages when I speak them because I speak them less uh-huh. well and I've actually never lived in the country. But like if I, if I think in French, like for example, all, all four of those languages, French, Italian, Spanish, and Portuguese have this notion of the sub- subjunctive. I don't know if you remember that from school mm-hmm. that, you, that you don't have in English. I mean, we do have an, a subjunctive in English, but it's not the same thing. Um, and I have totally mastered the subjunctive. Subjunctive in is to mean how there's um, gender associated to. It, it's um, not a ge- it's not a gender thing. It's like, um, for example, um, um, how would I explain this? I want I want you to come here. Okay, in English we use the infinitive. I want you to come. Okay, mm-hmm. um, in French, um, the like to to come is il vient. You know, but if you use this, if I, when you say I want him to come here, you know, je veux qu'il vienne, you have to, you have to conjugate the, yeah, oh, the con- yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's, so that, so that notion exists in French, Spanish, um, Portuguese and Italian. And it's, and you use a subjunctive, like there are rules for when you sub- use the subjunctive. It's like, what's a desire or a wish, or it's like, a, it's something that's not real. There, there are all kinds of ways that you have to memorize about when you should use that but I don't have to do that because I could just go from French to those languages. Mm-hmm. Similarly with, um, with um, German, I can go from Dutch to German. So, and, and I think, I think I do that to a certain extent with Swedish too, except that um, grammatically that's not hundred percent the same. So actually I'll make mistakes in Swedish that German people would make. See what I mean? Not that English people would make. Yeah. People would make <laughs> I'm, I'm jumping, I'm hopping languages when I do that. Sure. sure. Okay. So on that note then, in your belief and estimation, are there certain languages that are easier to pick up or more entry level than others? And perhaps for an English speaker, it's the other like, you know, romance origin languages like Spanish, Italian, or French, where they all kind of come from the same like Latin roots. Uh, most definitely. Yeah. If you're, so to answer that question, you have to start with your source language, which I'm going to assume here is English. Yeah. Um, and if you Google like, 
Um, I think the Google search term is like Foreign Service Institute Language Learning Difficulty or something like that. They actually classify languages by difficulty level. So they've got four levels, I think, one, two, three, and four. And then the first one is, um, and it's like how easy, how easy it is and how many hours, like a rough estimate on how many hours it would take to get proficiency. And I think I pulled that up here in one of my browser tabs before this, um, this thing started. So they have category one, which is like Afrikaans, Danish, Dutch, French, Italian, Norwegian, Portuguese, Romanian, Spanish, and Swedish. Those are languages closely related to English. And um, they said 575 to 600 hours. And then category two is German, uh, which is 750 hours. Category three is 900 hours, Indonesian, Malaysian, and Swahili. Um, and then category four is a whole, whole mess of languages, like a whole bunch of them, including like Russian and Polish and all of the, like a lot of the Indian language. I'm seeing Bengali on here, mm -hmm. um, Vietnamese. And then finally, the last one, like category five is Arabic, um, Chinese, Japanese and Korean. So that just kind of gives you an idea of, um, of the difficulty levels for a native English speaker. So... Um I think along those lines of what might be easier to pick up versus another, uh, I have heard that it is actually easier to learn a new language when you're younger. And I think you're starting to see a lot of school systems now, like they introduce Spanish in like kindergarten. Yes. Um, it, a, is that true? And B, if it is true or if it's not true, how does age factor into the equation in sure. the language? Um, that's that's a loaded is a good question. It's a loaded question because because at any age, different people have different aptitudes and different willingnesses to 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 learn a language. Like there's some people who couldn't care less about something and they're not going to learn it as well as someone who's like, you know, a, a, a 20 year old who doesn't want to learn Spanish is not going to learn it as well as like an 80 year old who's like super motivated. And they're like, you know, I'm going to do whatever it takes to, to learn this, you know. So that's one thing that said motivation you, is a big part of it. Yes. And actually, like, just, just taking, like, taking a step back and, and philosophizing about this whole thing in general, like, I remember reading this one article written by a school principal, where he talked about talent versus motivation. And he said that, that determination and motivation trumps talent almost any time. Mm -hmm. time. And it's almost like, it's like the tortoise and the hare kind of a thing where, where, you know, if you're too talented, but you don't put it, uh, the best, I mean, uh, the best combination, of course, is talent plus, plus motivation, motivation, you know, and I'm not going to lie. I think that I do have an aptitude for learning languages. Um, so I'm not going to be like the guy who says, you know, anyone, anyone can learn it. That's true. But I'm not going to be the guy who says anyone can learn it equally well. And all sure. I have to do is put in the time and stuff like that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie about that. That said, um, determination and motivation trumps talent without those things yeah. any day. Um, and to, to answer your question, like I, I can only answer that by comparing the 20 year old version of myself with the current version of myself. And the answer is yes. I, I pick things up a lot better when I was in my twenties than I am now. Like now I'm, I have to like repeat things over and again because I forget them more easily. And, um, and, and yeah, and I, I'm also, I'm wondering to what extent, and I asked this during one of my Facebook lives, I just threw that question out there. I'm wondering to what extent that is due to me being older versus just all the technological distractions of today that we didn't have in the 80s and the early 90s yeah. and stuff like that. You know, it's, there's, they, they say that now people are exposed to more information in one day 
than they were in an entire lifetime in like the mm. 1700s and the 1800s. So it's normal. I mean, we're still genetically the same. So it's normal that we're going to be like, you know, just dropping things here and there and, and, and not prioritizing things and stuff like that. But, but I can say that either because I'm more distracted technologically or because I'm older, it's more difficult. On the other hand, I am more determined now than before. And I know, A, having learned eight languages, I know, like, I know what it takes to learn a language. So if you, you I, I'm fully confident that I could learn any language if I just put in the time. And that's a nice uh, confidence to have that not everyone has, but it's just like, if I just, it's just, it's just putting in the time and, and repetition and, and determination and, and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, on the other well, hand, and I think, I think another part of it too is like, I think as you get older, I guess it's a delicate balance because when you're too young, this may also happen. But I think as you get older, um, the patience to sit with something that you're not good at automatically is much lower than when maybe you're like 10 years old or 12 years old or 14 years old. Um, or maybe. I think the desire to want to be like inherently good at something is stronger than when... Because I also think that when you're younger, everything in your life is just about like learning new things. Mm -hmm. Whereas you get to a certain age and you're like, not the, I mean, some people are continuously learning. I think everyone should be. But at the same time, it's like you've developed certain aptitudes and skill sets. And then if, and so you're used to being like almost like starting point kind of good at a lot of things. And then if you're not starting point kind of good at picking up a language, I think that could be frustrating. That is definitely true, but I'm going to say that the flip side of that is that being comfortable at sucking at something and then just having to get good at it is a skill that you can learn, okay? Yeah. And once, once you've internalized that skill, then man, the sky's the limit. You know, once you've, once you've actually hit peace with, you know what, I'm going to be in a vulnerable place that I actually suck at this, and I'm, do I'm doing that with German right now. I'm actually like learning German right now, which is like the level four language, I think. Um, in, it's either level three or I think it's level four of that, that classification that I gave you, just sure. so I could say that I'm in the trenches with my students. But holy crap, Russian is difficult. Russian is a very, very difficult language. And mm. Sometimes I'm just wondering, like, what sadist came up with this? These grammatical rules. I mean, they must have done it. As ex Some of it must have been a joke. Wait, sorry, you said you're learning German or you're learning Russian, right? Now? Russian, Russian, Russian. Okay, actually. okay, yeah. Okay, um, that's my ninth language. Um, but but um, I'm doing it, and I chose a. Per I purposely chose a difficult language because. I want to put myself in that uncomfortable, vulnerable place because I believe that that's the only way that, and especially for entrepreneurs, this is super important. You know how important it is to like actually like think outside of the box, put yourself in uncomfortable situations, be accepting of failure and stuff like that. So here again, this is like a perfect vehicle for doing that because you're guaranteed going to suck in the beginning when you start learning a new language and you're guaranteed going to make mistakes and you're guaranteed going to feel like a fool and look like an idiot and stuff like that. And what a better way to actually do that in a structured way than to learn a foreign language, even if you never want to talk a foreign language with anyone else. I can't think of a better vehicle for doing this than, than learning foreign language. I've got a few more questions for you in our conversation, but before I get into that, I want to just take a quick pause here and recognize one of our partners on the show in Sales Hacker. So today's episode is all about 
increasing productivity. Well, what's another way you can increase productivity as well as your overall sales acumen? That is through joining the Sales Hacker community, the world's smartest community for forward-thinking B2B professionals. It's 135,000 members strong. So whether you're the CEO, the head of sales, the head of growth, a sales rep, or even a marketer, Sales Hacker is going to help you get better at your job, period, with podcasts, articles, webinars, and research from actual sales experts and practitioners, including les moi, to use a little bit of French there. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's a ton of really good insight that you're getting, and they recently unveiled a whole brand new website that is very interactive. So instead of passive content consumption, there's now discussion boards on all pieces of content and they're doing weekly ask me anythings. So for instance, there was a recent AMA on the best way to break the ice when connecting on LinkedIn. There was an ask me anything on the best cold email opening lines and some really good healthy discussions going on in there. So I'm a huge fan of Sales Hacker. I love what they're doing and I'm proud to have them as a partner of this podcast. To get involved, all you have to do is go to saleshacker.com and you can get access to all of that stuff for free. So again, the articles, the podcasts, the webinars, the research, the AMAs, all of that is free simply by heading to saleshacker.com. I also want to recognize another partner of the show this season in Blissful Prospecting and their Think Outside the Script Summer Virtual Tour. Their CEO, Jason, was the season premiere guest this season of the show. And the Think Outside the Script Summer Virtual Tour is like the sales version of Lollapalooza if it were virtual. So what you're getting out of this is over the course of 105 days, over 40 different speakers, sales leaders, sales experts, people who are in the trenches day to day doing live interactive webinars Two to three of them are happening every week around the lunch hour. So when you tune in, you get to be part of the experience. You get to ask questions. It's really cool, like fireside chat kind of material where Jason's interviewing each of these people. I recently had a session in the tour and it just went fantastic. So if you want to get better at things like cold emailing, cold calling, figuring out what to say when someone says, I don't want to talk to you right now. If you just want to have a better mindset around this stuff, if you want to like learn the psychology behind prospecting, this is the tour dedicated 100% to making you better at booking meetings, getting in touch with people, and standing out in people's inbox and over the phone and through LinkedIn. All you have to do is go to tour.blissfulprospecting.com and you can sign up for as many talks as you want. It goes through early October. Everything is free tour.blissfulprospecting.com to get access to as many talks as you want. You can attend live. You can also get the recordings, though I will say from attending some myself, it's an amazing experience if you can attend live. So again, that's tour.blissfulprospecting.com. Today, we are on the show on Startup Hype Man, the podcast with Mohan Ember talking about increasing productivity by learning a new language. Mohan is the CEO and founder of Polytripper, and he himself is a hyper polyglot, having learned eight languages and currently learning his ninth, which he just explained was Russian. So I want to ask you, um, if I am a sales rep at a company or if I am the a founder of a company and I don't have a ton of time on my hands. What are some strategies or hacks to pick up a new language quickly and effectively? And when I ask about that, I mean, are there ways of going about learning or is it like, hey, start with the pronouns and go into like common nouns and verbs? 
what, what would be a good, like, what are some strategies or hacks in that respect? Sure. So whenever, when anyone says like, how do I learn a language or what do I do to learn a language? The first thing I ask is like, what are your goals? Like if that salesman is learning a language, is it, is it going to be to communicate with his clients? Is it going to be because he wants to understand like Japanese anime programs? Is it because he wants to read research papers or like go on a trip or something like that? So first you have to start with your goals. Then you have to start with how much time you have. And once I know your goals and how much time you have, then we can start reverse engineering that into like specific milestones and stuff like that for your language learning. So I don't know if you want me to just like provide something right yeah, now. Yeah, so let's, you want to give okay, me let's pick a milestone then. Well, let, let's say it's someone who really, uh, they are actually just focused on like being more productive in their work life. Um, okay. So they may not necessarily have like specific use cases of the language, but sure. they are really just trying to become like more well-rounded and they want to like be better, more improvisational over the phone. Uh, they want to generally just like be better at their job. Is Got that it. a good milestone okay. to go? Yeah, to totally. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So then in that case, I'm going to recommend if, if, if they don't care what language it is, then if, and if, and if they're us based, then why not Spanish? I mean, Spanish okay. is the second language here and, and, and everyone could benefit from learning Spanish. So what I would say is, like do a combination of self-study and and um and um, online language instruction because online language instruction is the best way to get proficiency in a foreign language sort of actually living in the country itself um, and especially in this day this golden age of the internet like when i was learning languages like decades ago we didn't have this available to us and so like one of the one of the i wrote like a, a guidebook for learning languages back then and the tips were buy a shortwave radio, go to the foreign language section of your video store to find foreign language things. So that, that, was, those are, that was what we had available back then, whereas now we've got these amazing possibilities to actually go online, book a lesson, talk to a teacher. So I'm gonna say any, so I'm gonna say if, if this is like a thing which isn't time box, in other words, where the goal isn't like to take a trip and you have only two months before the trip, um, if it's rather a thing that you have like say 15 minutes a day or, or a half an hour a week or whatever, then with whatever time that you have, make it an ongoing thing and then do whatever it takes to not lose interest. That's the main thing is first, no matter, forget any pronouns or grammar, anything like that, focus on what you need to not lose interest personally. And then once you, once you have that and then the amount of time that you're willing to dedicate to it, um, do a combination of self-study and online language instruction. And the self-study could be something like Duolingo, for example, or Babbel. There are a number of really popular things that will just give you like introductory phrases. I mean, Duolingo, I don't think is very heavy on grammar, but it they have this whole gamification thing where mm. you, you've got these streaks and streak preservation and it becomes like a kind of competitive thing for things that are into that. I'm personally not into that, but a lot of people love it. My wife loves it, for example, and so she, she, she enjoys doing those competitions. Um, and self-study is good because it keeps it alive, but it's not enough. The most important thing in, especially if you want to acquire all the things, the benefits that we talked about with, which is um, learning to think outside of the box, improvisation, stuff like that. You have to do the online language instruction because that's going to put you in a place where you're forced to like go out of this theoretical thing that you've learned into actually fumbling around, making mistakes, being vulnerable and improvising, finding workarounds and stuff like that. And it's super important that you expose yourself to that as early as possible in order to get comfortable with that process and in order to, and in order to, to be okay with making mistakes and be okay 
overcoming your anxiousness and to be and to learn how to listen to other people and not just babble on and, and like mm. I'm doing right now. <laughs> um, see what I mean? So I, I'd say like, figure out how much time you have to devote to that and then do a combination of self-study and online language instruction and do it indefinitely. How much does an individual's learning style factor into this? Like if they're visual versus auditory versus whatever else? Extremely much. Um, it's ex- and, and, and any good... So basically at, at Polytripper, we have professional teachers and informal teachers. And professional teachers are on the hook for assessing those things and assessing a student's, I mean, of course, just like any profession, you know, the quality of a teacher will vary, you know, and you have to sometimes just like finding like a good doctor or a good therapist or whatever, you have to just maybe just go through multiple teachers in order to find the one that you have a good chemistry with and who understands your learning style the best. But a good teacher will assess that. And, um, and if you're visual, give you the visual stuff. If you're not visual, like do the auditory stuff, you know, it makes a huge difference. I mean, I am a total visual person. If you say something to me, I will forget it instantly. I have to see it in print in order to be able to internalize it. So I would definitely want something that's understanding of that. And I'm also naturally going to gravitate toward those methods in my self-study to cater to those, to that learning style. I want to know, um, let me ask you, I'll ask you this final question and then we'll go into our wrap up. Um, sure. Once you start to pick up a language, how do you avoid the pitfall of just like forgetting everything? <laughs> that's, that's a good question. Um, the only, and, and this becomes especially important as you get older, like when I look at the amount of progress I've made in Swedish in four years, and granted, I'm, um, I'm not prioritizing that language as much as I'm prioritizing other languages, but when I look at how much progress I've made in four years, it's definitely less than what I could have done if I had applied myself more or if I had studied it more deeply. Um, the only thing that can make you not lose a language is repeated exposure. That's the only, that's the only thing. Um, and there was, there was one person who did a Facebook post or something like that where they showed that it's like this, it was a really good diagram. I wish I had the link, but it's like the spiral where basically you learn something and then it starts this downward spiral. But if you like re review it, then the spiral that you can go higher up the spiral before it starts spiraling down. Hmm. Um, and at my age, that spiral goes down really fast. You know, it's like, really it's like, Holy crap. I can't like with Russian, like I freaking ruined that yesterday. How could I have forgotten this? You know, but hmm. You just go back, review it again. You just have to just keep on. And this is where you shouldn't compare to your progress to anyone other than yourself. I mean, there's so many people that, I mean, when I think about, and you see these ads too, like learn language in three weeks, learn language in 24 hours. You'll be these YouTube videos. I learned language on an hour in the plane on my way to Turkey. You know, um, I find that invariably with like, with like, with like wanting to build muscle, with losing weight, with anything, the people that want to just, just, just get the results without putting in the time and enjoying the journey. Enjoying the journey is extremely important. That's why also the online language instruction where you're actually talking with a human being is better than just this dry self-study. But enjoying the journey and not getting impatient about the outcome, I would say is like, I don't have any studies to prove this, but I would probably say that's the single most greatest indicator of success. My German teacher told me that the people that come in and like, yes, I want to learn German and this is going to be great. And it's amazing. Those are the people that disappear after the first two weeks versus the people that are, yeah. that, that are like, I'm just going to give it my all. I have no idea if I'm going to be good at this, but 
damn if I'm not going to try, you know, those are the people that the people that just stick with it and don't just be mm-hmm. this raw, raw kind of people. Those are the people that are actually successful. It reminds me of this, uh, several years ago, my mom tried learning Spanish by having an instructor come to the home, but it was like with like a group instruction. So like she'd invite her friends over and they'd all learn together. But I really think she was just interested in hosting wine and cheese gatherings because <laughs> she'd always put all the effort into getting the wine and the cheese out. And I don't think uh-huh. she retained much Spanish out of that, out of that, whatever it was, 10 weeks that they did. And that's fine. How many people who do these book clubs actually care about the books versus right, right. chatting, shooting the, you know, shooting the breeze, talking to their friends. That's fine. If that's your goal, that's fine. But um, it's really important <laughs> if you want, if you actually want to learn the language, it's really important to like figure out your learning style yeah. and then like just, just stick with it. And, and having an instructor also like gives you like this accountability partner, like a gym buddy or something like that, right. that you, if you, if you don't, it's very rare that people who go it alone don't lose interest. That's, that's the danger losing interest. So then one quick follow up on that, actually, w- would you recommend um, watching uh, movies or TV shows in that language? Uh, and if so, do you watch with the English subtitles or just watch it without the subtitles and listen? I would say, again, I'm going to say do anything that makes it so you don't lose interest. So if that's something that makes it so you don't lose interest, the answer is yes. Um, I personally like doing that uh, because I, um, because I, I think it's very important to be exposed to the sounds of a language, even if you don't understand what's going on. Um, when I was learning French, um, there was an exchange program but going in both directions. And so I found the Swiss people who were coming this way and I just hung out with them for the whole year. And I didn't even try to talk French. I just listened to them talk because they would just hang out with each other and speak French. And so for an entire year, I just listened to them. Um, and now there are all kinds of amazing tools. You can get this Chrome extension. I forget what it's called. And, and every time I, I, I talk to people about this, I'm like, I'm going to look this up and then I keep on forgetting. The Pelican? It it's not the Pelican. It's this, this extension, which actually shows you, it lets you like do both subtitles at the same time. If you Google Chrome extension, Netflix, oh, okay. both subtitles, it's amazing. You can see, you can hover over a word and see its translation. And so I would highly recommend that um, for, for, for Spanish. Just put on two subtitles. You get the Spanish and the English. Yeah. You can hover over a word. You can see the subtitles on the right-hand side. Um, it's pretty cool that this stuff exists in this day and age. Oh, I actually installed a Chrome extension a couple of weeks ago called Pelican, which will take uh, any website that you're on, as long as you have it installed on your Chrome, uh, it will just replace random words of copy on the website with whatever language you're trying to learn. That's cool. Um, and so then if you, and then if you just hover over that, it'll show you what the English word was. Nice. Um, and so I, they only have like three languages on it right now, but I set mine to French, uh, uh-huh. just, you know, cause why not? Uh, and it's pretty cool. Cause you just start picking up, you know, a random word here or there. Um, really like in the course of what you were doing anyways, like I'm, Literally, like I'm researching a potential client to reach out to, or I'm looking at an existing client's website and reviewing it, and there will just be, you know, some French words thrown in. So it's not nice. like taking me out of my day. It's just part of what I'm already doing. It's showing up. That's that's smart. I haven't I haven't done that myself. I think Wanda has done something similar. Um, but yeah, just just like anything you can find like that, just to make it fun and sustainable and like a long term thing versus like I'm going to do this in two weeks and then I'm going to speak Spanish and then I'll, I will have arrived and I never have any forward progress to make after that. That's that mindset. is just <laughs> such a tragic mindset when it comes to learning languages. 
All right. To wrap up, where can our listeners find you? Where can they find Polytripper and, and how could they even uh, get set up on Polytripper? And learn sure. So our website is polytripper.com and that's with one L and two P's, polytripper.com. It's like a very controversial name because like when, when a lot of SoCal people hear it, they think polyamory and acid trips and stuff like that. So I've had, had a lot Do of- Do those have two L's and two P's or in one uh, P? No, no, but it's like, okay. it, uh, yeah, polyamory has one P and Tripper has or two. One L, yeah. Sorry, well, sorry, one L and Tripper has two P. So yeah, it's like, I didn't, I didn't choose that name based on that. But yeah, people are like, oh, <laughs> especially people, it was like polyglot and, and traveling trip, you know, but yeah, no, poly, polyamory and acid trip. So it makes for an interesting <laughs> conversation starter, especially with SoCal people. Um, but yes, That's poly Tripper with one, with one L and two P's. And um, I also have a free um, uh, mini course that people can take uh, for the mindset you need to learn a foreign language. It's not about a specific language, but just basically the mindset that English speakers need to learn a foreign language. And that can be found at polytripper.com slash secret.html. Um, and you can just <laughs> sign up and I like that. it's, it's my, my secret here. for, yeah, the secret for learning languages. Secret HTML. Um, and other than that, we do wake, we do, we have this, um, we have a nice Facebook group for learning Spanish. A lot of, a lot of these learning Spanish Facebook groups would have like a lot of fluff in them and a lot of people coming in and saying, um, what's your favorite color, you know, and then just all kinds of junk. But ours, our groups, I, Wanda has actually been the ringleader of these groups with some, some really active, dedicated teachers who've put really high quality content into them. Um, so if you go to our main Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash polytripper, there you will find links to those four groups, like learning Spanish, for example, which with, with high quality content and learning French. If you're learning French, you'd like the French group because our, our teacher, Audre, is like really active in posting new words mm. and vocabulary every day. And, um, and we also do weekly Facebook Lives um, every Saturday at that Facebook page at 11 o'clock Los Angeles times, where um, I try to gather all of our students or actually anyone interested in learning languages. I don't care if you're a student or not. Um, and then just just come together and, and and lift each other up and encourage each other in all language learning because because I really see this as a journey if you, if you approach it as a journey and like a fun thing rather than this thing like I want to you know lose 20 pounds or I want to you know put on five pounds of muscle by X date and then I'm done forever you know kind of thing if you purchase like this like ongoing journey especially um, as a social kind of occasion um, it becomes really really fun and that's the thing that I wish on everyone like the the fun aspect of this because it's really just given me so many, so many fun. I mean, just being able to, for example, Italians, I love Italians, just being able to go there, they'll invite you over. I'm not guaranteeing that Italians will invite you over to take <laughs> language lessons with them, but I've gotten like personal guided tours of Venice. I've stayed at people's houses in Sicily and gotten tours of the city and stuff like that. And I just, I just love that's, that's what does it for me. Just being able to meet these people from these different cultures and, and just, enjoy their hospitality and get to know them and, and see the world through their eyes. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that everyone is going to learn it for this reason, but, but for me, those kind of wonderful things are what I wish on everybody versus just, I'm going to just do this and, and, and get through it so I can achieve this goal at the other end. And that's it versus the journey part. Well, it sounds like you actually answered my next question, which was your top takeaways or lessons for the listeners based on our discussion. And I think it's really about, being able to enter, a, I think as you said right there, I think what you're going for is enter a journey and be able to see the world through other people's eyes, which makes me think that you know my lesson or takeaway from this is if you're an entrepreneur or if you're a salesperson, generally speaking, the best 
skill you can develop is empathy. And exactly. I think it sounds like learning a language will, as you said, see the world through their eyes. That's the definition of empathy, being able to see the world through someone else's you, you, eyes. I don't think I don't think I could have like I don't think I could have like said it better, honestly. That this, this I'm gonna start using that from now on. Well, I've had one lesson on Polytripper thus far, and I can at least thus far tell you Mujje Sangeet Sunapasandhe, which in Hindi means I like to listen to music. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Mohan, my final question for you, which is how we end every episode of the show, fill in the blank, please. Entrepreneurship is blank. I was going to rehearse this beforehand. I saw it. I'm like, I'm going to come up with this really like amazing answer, and I was going to like do that. And I, but now, now you're going to hear my spontaneous answer versus like something rehearsed. For me, entrepreneurship is resilience and improvisation. That's that's what I'm going to that's what I'm going to say. Because the more you think that you have it figured out um, in advance, the more you're going to like face plant. I think when reality actually like intersects with your preconceived notions of like what is going to happen, and so so resilience and what was the other thing I said? Improvisation. Improv. Yeah. Yeah entrepreneurship is resilience and improvisation he is mohan embar he is the co-founder of poly tripper mohan thank you for joining me today on this edition of startup hype man thank you for having me it was really fun that wraps up today's conversation. Did you like what you heard? Startup Hype Man, the podcast is available on every major platform, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and more. So be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and leave a rating and review. Do you want to be an upcoming guest on the show? Email media at startuphypeman.com with your idea and my team will review. Our theme song is Change the Game by Jay-Z, all rights owned by Rockefeller and Def Jam Records. And hey, if you want to work together on making your startup story the only one that matters, email me at rajiv at startuphypeman.com. That's R-A-J-I-V at startuphypeman.com. Well, that'll do it for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you to today's guests for joining. You have been checking out Startup Hype Man, the podcast. I'll catch you next week. But in the meantime, word up, raise up.